A lifetime of hard work, children laughing in the kitchen, family photos on a restaurant wall, a legacy that lives on. It all comes from the power of a conversation, like the one Tommy Hall had with First Horizon Bank about taking over his father's Charleston-based restaurant business. Now the table is set for a whole new generation. First Horizon Bank, let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Tommy. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. This is the Ben Burnett Show, the only show in America that features a one-term has-been retired politician that nobody knows. Welcome into the Ben Burnett Show. My guest today is Steve Rickman. You might know him around Atlanta, really probably the world at this point, as Southside Steve. (laughs) Steve, welcome in. Thank you very much, Ben. I appreciate it. It's good to be on your show, brother. You're the you're the pride. You're now the pride of Milton. You you can't sell that South Side to people anymore. No, I haven't been able to sell the South Side for a long time. But I tell people, you are where you went to high school, and I went to high school in the South Side. That's what defines you, in my opinion. Those high school years, the first car, the music, the girl that you lost your virginity to. That's all South Side for me. Through and through, that could definitely be considered the South Side. Does that mean like I went to Parkview and I'm like Parkview, Ben? Pretty much. You are that. You know, I'll be honest with you. I was born in West End, Atlanta. My father was the assistant art director for the Atlanta Magazine, and uh, we were living in West End. My mother grown up in West End, and my father was living in Shambly, but met her, and then they bought a house after getting married in West End, and I lived there till I was five. So around 1969, 1970, we moved to College Park, and we lived there until I was 18 years old. So pretty much, you know, that's what defined me. And then from there, we went deeper uh, into Fayetteville. My brothers went to Fayette County High Schools. I did not. Um, I'd already graduated. And then somewhere around, I guess, 20, 21, I moved into Atlanta, and then on the north side never went back. Oh, so you've actually, you're like south side, like, at 25, you were like, I'm coming up here, don't tell anybody? Uh, pretty much. I mean, when you were in Buckhead from the south side at the time, I remember uh, like 1990, 89, you know, you kind of lied about where you lived or where you were from. Girls didn't want to date a dude from the south side. Uh, it just had a bad image. It's kind of funny, but it truly did. So you couldn't wait to get out. I have friends that never left the south side, and, man, they're different. And I don't mean that in a bad way. No, I go down there. I go to the city of Fayetteville a good bit. Sure. And what it has transpired into and is continuing to evolve into the rest of Atlanta. Like if you live, I would say I-20, but it's probably like Buckhead North. Mm -hmm. You've never had a reason to go. No. And you should. And and you should. Because I'm telling you, in five years, if if the cards get laid out right, And Dan Cathy's pumping the money in down there like he is. Like, it's about to be truly insane. Like, Alpharetta's great, and it may never have the demographics of, like, North Fulton or Sandy Springs and Buckhead. I'm telling you, that place is going to be super special. No, I, you know what? And I kind of agree with you. I think Peachtree City was always the diamond in the rough. Um, when I grew up in Fayetteville, you know, I say grew up, you know, we moved down there. I was 18, 19, 20, and I was still living with my parents before I, I moved out. Um, the big deal down there was get a job at the airline, and that's what I did. Most people I was surrounded by worked for Delta or for Eastern, and I worked for the airlines, which is where I came up with my patented trademark, yeah, come on, working for Atlantic Southeast Airlines. 
And I worked there at the airport from 85 until 89 and loved it. And then, you know, I got into business. I met somebody in first class because I, I always flew first class because I was a non-rev. And um, she talked to me about water treatment. And I was like, what a treatment? What do you mean? And she goes, well, the water coming into your home, it's so chlorinated. It's that of a swimming pool. And then she goes in and the, and the water coming into your house clogs the pipes the same way it clogs your arteries. And then she goes in your clothes, all that lint, those are your clothes being destroyed by the fabric softeners you have to use because the water's hard. So I got into all this and I said, so what do you get paid? She goes, well, $600, you know, when you sell one, I'm like, okay, I want to know more. Next thing I know, I realized I was the type of person I didn't want a ceiling. I didn't want somebody to tell me what I was worth. And I knew five years from now, 10 years from now, what I would make at the airlines. I knew my salary. Didn't matter what a great job I did or was I just slack enough to survive. You were getting a 3% raise or a, That's it. Or a five. And I couldn't, I couldn't handle it. I wanted, I wanted to not know. I would rather risk it all to make big money then have a guarantee. So that's when I went into commission sales. And before it was over, I did well selling $3,000 water treatment system, whole house systems. I went into business for myself. We opened an office down in Peachtree City. Um, and then when we decided to close shop and we did, I went to work at the Peachtree Executive Conference Center and I was a bellman. Literally at 26, I'm wearing a Captain Crunch outfit and I'm questioning my life's decisions. And I'm like, all right, you had guarantee, you had benefits. You threw that away. You went into sales. So I said, you know what? I'm staying with it. And due to the presentation, which was an hour and a half long to sell water treatment systems, I realized I could talk to a room, I could sell, and that led me into advertising. And I became an AE for a small advertising firm. And, you know, my buddy's like, dude, you got to quit driving from the south side up. I was living in Jonesboro with some roommates that I'd worked with at the Peachtree Executive Conference Center, where I also learned to bartend. He goes, man, get a bartending gig at night, work your sales job during the day, and get your butt into Atlanta because nothing's going to happen to you on the south side. And that was my advice. I moved in to the same apartments that my father lived in when he met my mother, Colonial Homes, cinder block apartments right off Peachtree, right on Bobby Jones Golf Course. And that's where uh, I started bartending at Rupert's, which was a nightclub. I was making great money. I'm selling advertising. And before I know it, one of my clients wants to be on air at 96 Rock. It was a bungee jumping client. So I brought them in there and I had hired two voice talents. One showed, one didn't. I looked at the script. I had written it. I did the voice. And the guy talking to me goes, man. If you ever thought about being in radio, you're pretty quick. You know, you got a good voice. You, you know, you, you seem to have a great personality. And I said, well, I'm at Georgia State taking classes. I'm on 88.5 because everybody's always told me I should be a comedian. So I'm learning to to talk on the on the microphone, but I'm not really thinking about radio. He goes, wait. On the run. He goes, you're on 88.5 WRAS? I go, yeah, I go to Georgia State. And, you know, I went in and I've got two radio shifts. And I go, but nobody's really serious about it. He goes, can you turn in your tapes? I turned them in. Next thing I know, I'm a full-fledged intern. So I would leave the advertising agency, go to 96 Rock, stay an hour, write scripts, do talent voices, and did that for about a year until the program director came to me and said, I've heard your air checks on WRAS. I see what you've done, you know, helping out our production department. How would you like to do weekends on 96 Rock? And you said, sure. And that, I said, why not? Well, that talk about 96 Rock in the heyday, and what years were those? 
the heyday for me, or at least the time I was there, was from 93 until 2004. So you were there with a the fat guy dancing in front oh, yeah. of the car De- on the commercial. Came in, right? He was still he was still the thing. Christopher Rude and the radio station had hired the fat guy. And that dude got flown around. He was doing it for other radio stations across the country. People didn't realize he wasn't just our guy. He was a lot of people's guy. And the thing is, he had a great gimmick going. They flew him first class. He stayed at a nice hotel. He made like fifteen to twenty grand doing all the commercials they needed for you know the first or second quarter of advertising, and then he'd go home. And he was doing that all around the country. The guy was making a killing, that being is. overweight, funny, and doing the fat guy dance for radio stations on television commercials. To show you a different day, I don't know the last time I saw a radio station with a television commercial. Yeah. It's been a while. I think the last one I saw could have been us. Rock 100.5 did some commercials. We did stuff with Two and a Half Men on Channel 69, worked a lot with Channel 69, and I was the person they would hire to do those just because the two guys I worked with were guys that had the faces for radio, Larry and Eric, not beautiful people. Uh, I was, you know, I was the better looking of the three, and at least I was younger. And that, and that might not be it saying worked. a whole lot. No, it's not. I'm not acting like I'm Brad Pitt, uh, but uh, I did well. So I, the camera liked me more than it did those two, and they didn't even want to do that. Talk about the regular guys in in '96 Rock and just creating that brand, which is still so. I, if you ask me, I'm 40. Mm-hmm. Just the how synonymous it is with Atlanta. Are you still as recognized from the brand of those days? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. Uh, matter of fact, I, I hate to, to do this, but a certain radio station uh, in town did a survey. And I know because I'm good friends with the program director. And he came to me and goes, we looked at 20 air talents. You came out number one. And, uh, and that was as far as being recognized, likability, uh, stories, uh, advertising, every aspect you would look at from a radio personality. And I said, well, that's terribly flattering. And then I said to him, where'd you come out? He goes, fifth. I said, all right, well, that's cool. Well, yeah, that's pretty good. That's, that's, pretty, that's good. pretty good, too. Yeah, and I'll and I and I'll I, settle for 500th. Yeah. How's that? And you ask the question, I'm like, did I beat Bert? And they go, yeah, and this you did. And I'm like, it's always Bert. It's always I'm up against Bert, but Bert has built something huge, and he, uh, you know, the Bert Show, and he's divided it up, and he's got a great thing going, and he always talks about getting out of radio. Me with two small children, I'm like, no, nah, I need a ten or fifteen year run. Um, but when you talk about the heyday of radio, and if you take a step back and you look at Atlanta radio, yeah, because because I'm late, I'm late to it. Okay. Well, when you when you grow up, it's li- still really fun. But I, I'm late. I'm definitely late. You're to late it. to this party, Ben. It's all good. I'll, I'll bring you there. Because in high school, I graduated uh, high school in 1983. Uh, Should have graduated college in '87, the year my wife was born. That's that's pretty funny. That's the age gap she and I have. So when you're listening to radio on the South Side or anywhere, you camped out for concert tickets. You went to Turtles. Uh, 96 Rock presents Turtles. Turtles record and tapes. You had you had Alex Cooley and Peter Conlon presents on your tickets. That was the moment in time that imprinted on me. And I listened to the morning show uh, on my way to school on 96 Rock. And that's who I, I listened to. So, you know, everybody had a 96 Rock car tag on the front of their on the front of their vehicle. It was the thing. Plenty still do. You I still know. see them. And Willard selling them. Willard, who was uh, middays forever on 96 Rock, sells those car tags. It's him. 
100% Willard Arbor is doing it. I don't know why I don't do it. I should. I kind of push my my brand yet. Yeah, come on, but I have every right to. But when you look at the groups, there's an old 96 Rock group and there's a new 96 Rock group. And the old 96 Rock is Christopher Rude and the, uh, the Wake Up Crew. It's Lorna Love. It's Willard. It's Katie Kiley. It's uh, Alan Ao. Um, it's those people. And then there's promotions people. And that would have been late 70s, early 80s. Then there's the regular guys. And I was there hired by Christopher Rude to be his morning show producer of the Wake Up Crew in 95. Worked with Chris until he was let go in the summer of 97. And when they let him go, they brought in syndicated radio, John Boy and Billy. And at that moment, I was kept to localize the show along with Beth Keppel, who was our uh, news girl. They let Kevin Zeppelin go, Christopher Rude go, Jeff Hullinger go. But they moved Jeff Hullinger over to um, WGST. He's and, great, man. And, yeah, and they did Planet Radio with Jeff Hullinger. They basically made him a host. But Hullinger's great, and he doesn't sleep a lot. He takes cat naps. The guy does news back in the day. He was doing Fox 5 till 11, coming in on our morning show 7 to 9, and then he'd go about his day. But the guy's a workhorse, and he's and he's really good. He's guarded. I, I squeezed in, you know, for the love, but Hullinger's guarded but very, very talented. So that was my – that's who I learned from, Christopher Rood and Jeff Hullinger. And then when John Boy and Billy didn't work after six months, then they brought in – the craziest thing we've ever seen, which is Opie and Anthony wannabes. So literally they were looking for something to bring in. I interviewed with Opie and Anthony for doing mornings in Atlanta. They decided to go uh, middays in New York. They turned down the job. Second choice, Larry and Eric unemployed in Los Angeles. And they had blown up uh, for about two years and got blown out. And they came, I met those guys and I'm like, oh my God, these dudes are, are crazy. First day on air, everybody came down the hall after the first break, and literally salespeople were asking me, are you okay? Are you okay? And I go, what do you mean? Because they came on and cracked the mics and did something that's never been done in Atlanta. It literally was, was the edgiest radio I've ever heard, and it put Atlanta on its ear. And you either loved it or you hated it. Anybody going to college, anybody going to high school, fell in love with it immediately. Anybody in their 30s and 40s and 50s was on the fence and, and made a call. But before we knew it, we had the biggest thing, in my opinion, ever in Atlanta radio history. I remember in my childhood, an alternative music was a huge thing, and there was 99X. Yeah. Did you guys have just a huge rivalry with mm -hmm. them? Big time. Matter of fact, that's what cost me my job. It's why I'm unemployed right now. Um, a lot of people don't know, but I'm going to tell you the truth, Ben. Uh, you know, and I, and I talk about it on my show too, on my Fox FM, the South side ride. Oh, we're, we're about weekly. I come yeah. on as just a pontificator. I love it. You come on during politictainment, which is a no, no in corporate radio, but we get away with it because in corporate radio, there's certain markets that could talk about politics or edgy things, but certain markets you can't. So what does corporate radio do when you own 500 stations? You say, nobody talks about it. But doing what I do, and even what you do on the Dickey stations, we can talk about it because we're independently owned by one individual. There is no HR department that I know of. Uh, if there is, I haven't met them. No, and I'm like the straight-laced dude on the, the Dickey station. Are the, you? For conservative talk. A hundred percent. When I sat in elected <laughs> office, they were like, that dude is crazy. You transition the crazy guy in locally elected office into corporate radio, and it's like, 
He's the most establishment Republican we've ever seen. Look at you. So the rest of us are just crazy as hell, you know, and we talk politics for a long time till the pendulum went the other way and it happens. Whether it's Janet Jackson doing something stupid that changes it and you, you see John Hogan, who was running, uh, you know, um, iHeart at the time and and saying we will not put up with this, which was the firing of the regular guys the first time. Uh, you know, I've, I've seen it all. I've been through it. And I, I'm hoping the pendulum goes back the other way now. And we don't get our feelings hurt. But will Atlanta ever see the kind of radio that the regular guys did? Absolutely not. I don't think so. No way. It's done. It's over. In certain markets, it will exist. But that is it. That is it. It will not exist anymore. So to me, I'm like, I lived that moment. I'm known for that moment. It's given me the fame that I looked for, but I also played my role. I also was underpaid compared to those two dudes. Which is smart. Yeah, it, it was go under the radar. I knew what they were making. I'm making a third, but I'm making enough on the street to get me close to their pay. And the streets where I made my living. And when you do four promotions a week, whether they're bar gigs or anything, I mean, dude, I'm doing black and tie uh, tuxedo can-can ball with Mayor Campbell. And then the next night I'm doing a wet t-shirt contest in McDonough, Georgia, at the uh, you know, in a biker bar. So I went. You name it, I did it, and I worked for Gillardy for 19 years at the Pink Pony and, I, and the other three clubs that he owned, hosting some of his biggest events. Some I was paid 1000 a night. Some I was paid 400 for an afternoon, free cocktails. All my perverted friends came in. I've never been to a strip club in my life that I wasn't getting paid. If it's up to me, <laughs> I don't need to go in there. But if I'm sure. there, I'm getting paid. Now, I can't speak for anybody else in the damn room, but I'm getting paid. So for me, that's where I was making my money and where I was getting fame because the internet wasn't huge yet, but people recognize me, A, the ponytail, which is why I can't cut it. Secondly, it's just the name recognition, a nickname. Christopher Rude told me, when I give you this name Southside, you're going to hate it. I said, dude, don't, I don't want to be Southside. You know, everybody down here runs from it. I don't want to do this. And he's like, you'll thank me one day. I've been thanking that guy for 20 years giving me the nickname because nicknames help. That also helps build fame. And then it's, what do you do with it? And with the regular guys, there was no, no, there's never been a no. If you say no in radio, you're screwed. So even if you're uncomfortable with it, Chris Rude sent me in on national male stripper day. And I went down to a G string in an office complex in front of 20 secretaries. And I'd only been working in radio three months. I did it because you don't say no. The one thing that I have learned in a year of sitting on air and like you, and I don't know that I'm a guy who would want more than the weekends. I really, I really don't because it's the loss leader to everything else. I have the opportunity to do. Mm -hmm. I don't cost anybody a ton of money. If you can create the right brand. And plus, I mean, one day I'm going to sit on CNN, you know, like you got to be ready for that. Yeah. And I think that independent radio is where you really cut your teeth I've never had anybody tell me what to think or what to do. I'm on the most conservative talk station in the entire city of Atlanta by a country mile. And then being the guy who agrees with everybody 94% of the time and being the radical moderate, I was like, man, when the TV stations, when, mm -hmm. they, when they start calling, then I'm pretty. You are a good looking I'm, man, Ben. I'm 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 running I'm running for it. I'm not gonna walk. I'm gonna run. There you go. And I'll always be grateful to uh Tug Cowart, David Dickey, and Colin Wheat. But the thing that I have noticed is that it is such an incestuous business. Mm -hmm. You know everybody. Yeah. And there are people that I have 
wondered about as I go to sort of different things around political stuff when the Newsom DeSantis debate was here and I walked into both of the campaign like war rooms like people from the media came to talk to me well dude that was huge that's why I had you on our air you know we do the segment with Jeff Cole my my co-host Apollo Dictainment and I'm like Ben was there we knew they were meeting in Alpharetta. My studio's in Alpharetta. And you didn't know where it was. I had no idea. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, damn, there's pictures of Ben. Ben was there. So, of course, I had you on. And I love having you on. And I'd love to do a, a, a set feature with you just because you're in the know. And a lot of people, we know some of the same people. And they all say very, very great things about you. That you're you're very intelligent that you come across and that you're very well-spoken. You have your beliefs. And I'm nice. Yeah, and you're nice. And let me tell you, nice wins. The day of the bad boy crap is over. I work with the two biggest uh, narcissistic, lack of confidence, mean jerks in the business. And I'll say it to both their faces, and that's Larry Wax, and uh, and that's also Jason Bailey. Bailey's still in radio, but he's been bounced to, to me, the worst city in California. He can have it. I wish no ill will. Here's where you know you're a good person when you have no hate. You don't have like or hate. You're just like, I'm fine. I, you just don't exist in my world because life's too short. And you need to be around rocket ships. You need to be around not necessarily people that agree with everything you say, but people that are going somewhere. And that pull for your cruising altitude. Exactly. And that's what you got to do. If you're having to... If you're around somebody and and you're trying to up lift them up constantly, you're wasting your time and your energy. They got to help themselves. You get around people that you don't have to help. We have several friends that we know are total go-getters. And that's who you get around. Yep. And that's what you do. And that's what I'm doing in my career. And that's why I've chosen independent radio. I don't know. I'll, I'll never say never to corporate, but they own your identity. They held me in a right-to-work state six months, non-compete. When you, which is insane, which you fired me. Here's the reason 99X was so good and their talent couldn't help but be successful. The music was hot. They were getting every artist in their studio. You couldn't screw it up. All you had to do was do a decent interview and you look cool because what was cool was happening. Then you got the regular guys. Our music's not cool. We're playing Elton John. We're playing whatever classic rock tune yeah. that I can't damn stand. But we're doing the edgiest radio in Atlanta. Now, we got topless interns for two years. Tell me where that's going to happen. But that happened. And guess what? These girls were going to University of Georgia, West Georgia. One girl even going to Georgia Tech. And they did it. Did I think it was cool or not? Was my mother upset? Were girls I dated upset? Yeah. They were like, this is wrong. And I'm like, this is what's happening. They agreed to it. And guess what? Not my call. You got a problem with it. Talk to Larry and Erica, my program director, who are signing off on this. Sure. So you go along with it. And, you know, I'm a single guy. It's not like I was, oh, my God, I can't believe we have a topless intern. But I'm also not a pervert that needs that. The audience was losing their mind over it because nobody was doing it. So I always thought that we had the best air talent, and I always thought they had the best music. And that's the rivalry between 99X and uh, 96 Rock, the regular guys. But because we badmouthed their morning show, and I'm the lone survivor, when they had this idea to switch from Rock 100.5 back to 99X, I wasn't in the cards. Number one, never worked for them. Number two, I badmouthed them. And the guy that was making the decisions held on to 20 years of remembering bitterness us. yeah yeah and i'm like you know what dude that's fine i'm not mad at you either maybe there's a reason i'm being let go i really think you should have given me 
a little bit of cash to take a walk or allowed me to go to work. You obviously don't fear me. Let me go to work. You know, when you're let go on December 2nd and your last check is December 31st and you've got a three-year-old and a six-year-old and you are living in Milton, yeah, I got money. I've saved. I've done this and that, but I'm not a millionaire. You know, so what it boils down to is you were either with us or you with them, and I understand both schools of thought, you know, um, and I never really wanted to work for 99X. It wasn't my thing, even though 88.5 WRS Georgia State was alternative. Um, they kind of stole our playlist. At the time, people that were there were a little upset, but I'm like, hey, man, you can't blame them. They're out to make money. We're just a college station. Yeah, of course. So I'm like, let that go. And the students that that bothered never planned on a career in radio. But there's about five or six talents, being that it was a 100,000-watt station that went. But I'm the only one that stayed in Atlanta. I'm the only one that went full-time. And it's thanks to Christopher Root, Larry, and Eric that launched me and got me to the point to where you know, I was told, who do you want to work with? And I chose Jason Bailey because we had the same agent. And uh, for the first year or two, it was good. But then he became, we called him Larry Light is the nickname we gave him. And I didn't give it to him. The promotions department at Rock 100.5 did. And I thought it was hilarious. Larry Light, meaning if Larry had a son, it would have been Jason Bailey. So I ended up in a studio with, with the same kind of guy, just a younger version. And obviously Bailey nicer than Larry. There's just... I don't know. The, at that moment, management allowed them to be bullies, to be jerks, to to treat people rough, and now that doesn't take place anymore. The bulliness in radio is kind of over. If there's morning shows doing, I don't know. It's not in our market any longer. The edginess can be brought back, and I look to do that in independent radio. Will I do some of the bits that I used to do on the regular guys? Probably. I'm probably going to bring back in my stall whether I do it on the radio or whether I do it on YouTube just doing funny little setup bits, uncomfortable things, which work and still work. So you try to figure that out. But, you know, I'm older, but I still come across younger. That's the brilliance of radio. Um, and I love to talk from my past. I never burn bridges, so I'm having a lot of great guests on my show. And I think a lot of people like the independent radio. And I think you do, too. Obey the FCC rules, and that's it. I do. And to your credit, you have people like Brian Finneran drop by every once in a while. And that's the thing is like, if you're owned by the machine, you can't do anything. Which, which sucks. Well, there are literally two radio stations in the entire Atlanta market that David and Colin and that cast of characters wouldn't let me go on. One is WSB. Okay. And the other is 92.9 The Game. Well, I don't really talk about sports a whole lot, so if they called me, I would have to be like, what did I say or what did I do or who? what happened? Yeah, man. When you look now, being on my Fox FM, dozens of stations around the state of Georgia and in other markets, what's the one thing that you have the opportunity to do in independent radio that nothing else will provide you today? Being able to basically use my skill set and bring on clients. I'm almost like a salesperson. I can find my sponsors. I can find my clients. I can do live shows and work a fee into that um, and, uh, and, and basically help make myself a little bit more money than what I'm being paid. That's obviously a plus. I like obeying the FCC rules, and that's it. I don't, I'm not a part of a big company that's worried about every single little thing. I don't deal with HR. I love that. You know, when you tell a joke on the air like I did, on uh, Rock 100.5, there was only one complaint. 
and the complaint came from an individual that doesn't like me anyway. And I just finally landed in his backyard, and he threatened to call this group, this group, this group. And it was a joke about my kids, and and I didn't mean it, obviously, as a good father. And I'm one of the few people who don't think Michael did anything wrong. I just thought that he was a small child in his mind. Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson. But I made the joke about Michael Jackson and my kids and, and where I went with it. Uh, like I said, one complaint. That's all. And first, I'm fired immediately. Then local management goes to Cumulus and says, hey, you can't fire this guy. He's beloved. He's this. He's that. He's bringing in $700,000 a year. He's, uh, he's a workhorse. You know, he cares. It's just a mistake. So then they come in, and I have this big, and this is during COVID. We're all at our houses. And I have this big meeting where I get my 10-day suspension without pay. And that sent a message to me. And I was like, one complaint, and you're doing this to me. And then I was like, I see now. And then there's then there's the counseling. And then there's the meetings. And then I realized my partner is using this as leverage to get me out. Because what does BS stand for? Bailey Southside. What does BS stand for for him? Bailey Show. He's trying to remove me and get me out. So he's going behind my back, per the program director, the general manager, and he's saying things about me. And that happens in a corporate world. I don't see it happening in independent radio. Another thing that I love, and he had angles and trying to get me out so he could have the show because he did not like being in my backyard. He did not like me being recognized everywhere I went, and he was never recognized. Whereas I would have given him the key to the city if he'd have been cool and said, hey, man, I'll hook you up with everybody I know. Let's rock this thing for 20 years. You, you can't fix people like that. No, and it's most people. It is, and and I haven't seen it in independent radio, but the good news is in independent radio, you don't have to have 10 write-ups, three verbal warnings. I can go to the guy that owns the station, just like you could go to David Dickey. I could go to Chris Murray and go, what's his deal? There's going to be a conversation that day, and it's over. You know, you can stop stuff, whereas in corporate radio, they, they just, they're always, everybody's worried about getting in trouble and nobody will fight for anybody. There's people that did not want to see me let go, but they walked up to the line and they're like, that's it. You know, I'm not going any further because I need my job. So no, there's none of that, you know, where, Hey man, you, you blow him out. I quit. You want that to exist. Yeah. It's not, it's not reality, especially in corporate America where people get paid every two weeks. It's not going to happen. So you talk about the advantages of what you and I are doing working in independent radio. I love the Dickey brothers. That's uh, one reason I went back on the regular guys, because John Dickey um, assured me that these stuff would not go on that went on before. And I bought into it. And uh, David Dickey's one of the hardest working guys I've ever seen. Yes. And Chris Murray is the exact same way. So I love the hustle. And I love doing what we're doing. So those are two guys that I would work for. And and you're right. They're the only two that don't really care. My guy doesn't care where I go. The River's even talking about having me on um, every Friday to do a segment with Axel, who I worked with for a year, um, just because research showed I'm a hot ticket. And I'm like, yeah, dude, I'll come on your show. Can I talk about mine? And he's like, no, but you can mention your website. And I went, good enough. Yeah. Okay. We, we can take that. I'm, I'm willing to bet I can convert some of them over. Well, what's next, man? You look at independent radio, you look at independent media in general. Yeah. You look at Barstool Sports, you look at Saturday Down South, you look at 
you look at Tucker Carlson, mm. guys that Len, look, look, I, I think you're great. I don't, I don't know that you got the swag. I don't, I don't know that you've got the stroke Tucker Carlson has. Mm-mm. I don't think you're either, either even going to pretend. But those guys seem to get run out of things. And I tell everybody, if you can create your own thing and do eighty percent of the revenue, don't ever get in the machine. It's not mm-hmm. worth it. You'll be there. I mean, YouTube, Instagram. I had a guy on the show a couple of weeks ago named John Roman who owns a subscription based box full of like survival prepper stuff. Mm. Dude, they have 150,000 followers on Instagram in a Netflix show. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, dude, like, never mind that I, I'm a, I'm an observer. I'm, I appreciate talent wherever it is. Sure, man. When you look at people like that who are like, no, we, I mean, we pitched them all. We signed with the production company that did Fixer Upper and all that stuff. They wanted to do something different and shake it out. Netflix paid for the whole thing. I was like, dude, I don't think I've ever met. You probably haven't either. I don't know anybody who's ever been like, yeah, we're going to pitch an independent Netflix show. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what did that do for business? And he said, I, I can't talk about it with the contract with respect to Netflix on what it ultimately did for my brand. But he goes, it was absolutely staggering. There's nothing I've ever wow. done that has the skill. And I don't even know what the show is. He's no. like, you can't touch it, man. He's like, I, I would sign up again. I'd do it in a heartbeat. It was the best thing that ever happened to me. The conversion rate was terrible. The numbers were so big, it didn't even matter. Damn. And I was like, hell yeah, man. That's like, good stuff. Absolutely. Like, what did you convert? Like one out of a hundred? He's like, probably one out of a thousand. It was still huge. Wow. So I'd tell you, man, like hook your cameras up, get your YouTube audience. Mm-hmm. You know, you guys roll five days a week. Yeah, man. And there are plenty of people sitting at their desk that that's how they access content. Your son, my two boys and a girl, and they they will listen to the radio if I'm on. If they're not there, they're hooked to the phone, they're hooked to, to an iPad, and they're on YouTube. Oh, dude, I've seen all the kids shows. I'm like, dude, back in the heyday, the stuff I was doing on the street, whether I was messing with the homeless or doing massage parlor reviews, the things that I had to do that were so absolutely edgy uh, in my stall, you name it, what happened, you know, where I go talking to homeless people, how'd you become homeless? You know, you look at all those stuff that, that I did, that would have converted over so well. And you're like, have I missed my spot or do I go back and do something different or do I think outside the box? And I'm with you. You know, I, I, everything I've done, you know, you know, YouTube influencers. Yes. I mean, it's unbelievable. The money that they can make and the things they can do and the content that's out there. But like Blippy, this kid that my kids are into just wearing his little high tops and his little orange hat and just going into places. The guy is, is, um, he's now got a body double that sounds like him and looks like him. And he's retired with like 50 million in the bank. It's great, man. It's And, and I got to tell you, that's what I love about this country. That's capitalism at its finest, at its finest. And that's what I love. And that's what I want to fight for. So I now on the radio will go a little political. I'll say things I mean, because I've got to be a part of the wave. I can't be afraid not to say anything. I've got to be a part of the wave that will bring this country back to where negativity programs for people that don't want to work don't exist. Free tickets don't exist. You pay your way, you earn your way the same way we did. And for that, we will be a stronger, better nation. And and I and I will push for that at, towards the end of my career. And it's a nation of independent contractors. And that's the 21st century economy. And if you are hooked to the machine, I don't care if you're a sales guy. Yeah. I don't care if you work in marketing. 
If you're not plotting your exit, they don't give a shit about you. No, not at all. And they will cut you just the way Cumulus cut me. 14 years, the amount of money I made them, zero severance check, let go on the street, and everybody feels bad about it, but the decision was made by one dude and then another person out of New York. Looking at a spreadsheet. That has no idea who I am or could care less. Thanks for coming in, man. Dude, it's been a pleasure. I'll come on the Ben Burnett Show anytime. First off, you have a surfboard in your office. I have a surfboard at my house. Anybody that's got a longboard is cool with me. Yep. I love to surf. Look, I made a huge mistake by buying that thing about eight inches too long. Mm -hmm. And when I was in Hawaii and I had to figure out how to get it back home, because Delta will take it up to like nine feet and it's like nine, nine. It was, (laughs) and they were, I was like, well, what am I going to do? And they were like, well, you Go to UPS. It was eight hundred dollars to ship it back. To ship a surfboard back that I had fifteen hundred. I was probably two grand in. I mean, it's nice. It, rides, it has your name on it. It has. It, and it was a. Here's another thing. Independent contractor. I put it in marketing stuff. If I'm if I'm at the beach. Yeah, man. I wrote the whole thing off. Marketing. Marketing. It's going on Instagram. I don't care if I have 200 followers. I don't care if I have 1,000 followers. I'm that Republican. And everything's going through my LLC. And I got to tell you, uh, having a 401k has crushed me, crushed me the past five years, six years, whatever. And finally, I get to write some things off because you're always spending money. You're always doing things to try to further, you know, attention. It's all about attention. I need likes on anything I do. Yeah, Likes. and I hate that too. I do, and I, I hate it as well. I, well. I'll go like all your stuff, dude. Yeah, I'll, like like my stuff. Follow I'll, me, whether I'll, it's Southside Steve Rickman or Steve Rickman. Uh, yeah, come on, everything. Definitely my bourbon legends. Yeah, come on, bourbon whiskey. And go to yeahcomeon.com. Yeahcomeon.com is where I sell all my hats, all my shirts. And you know what? Buy one. Uh, if you've ever said, yeah, come on, you might as well wear it. This has been another episode of the Ben Burnett Show. We'll see you guys next week. A lifetime of hard work. Children laughing in the kitchen. Family photos on a restaurant wall. A legacy that lives on. It all comes from the power of a conversation. Like the one Tommy Hall had with First Horizon Bank about taking over his father's Charleston-based restaurant business. Now the table is set for a whole new generation. First Horizon Bank. Let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Tommy. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. Is there chaos in your closet? Look, Blouse, you've got some nerve hanging there like that. I can't help it. I'm jammed in here next to this suit. Hey, I'm a three-piece, all right, which means I need a little more room. You've got a lot of attitude for a linen suit. I'm a polyester blend, sweetheart, and there needs to be room for men's clothes, too. Hi, I'm Christina, and in Artisan Custom Closets, we help families organize and simplify their closets with customized storage solutions. See what's possible for your home at artisancustomcloset.com and then call us for a free in-home consultation. 